When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Jones! Bowden! He's got it! England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins! Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four and England have won the match! Hello and welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. And if you're suffering still a bit of a low from Sunday night, well, England's cricketers should have lifted you up again because who would have expected it after completely revamping their team because of Covid? They've beaten Pakistan 3-0 in the one-day series and impressively so too. So uh, a nice lift after the disappointment of Sunday night. What do you think, Simon? Yeah, incredible, really. If you'd said a week ago England were going to win the series 3-0, I'd have been extremely sceptical. But they showed the, the, the depth of talent in white ball cricket in this country and they played superbly. And I suppose that one of the questions is, after that series, is you know, which player or players advance their cause most? And top of my list, I would say, in terms of, say, test cricket and you know his potential, Saki Mahmood. And we'll hear from Saki in, in a short while. We'll also hear from Joss Butler. The other thing that's happened in the last week or so is that Jimmy Anderson has reached 1,000 wickets. And we'll hear from Joss Butler on what it's like to keep... Uh, to Jimmy Anderson and Butler, of course, today named in England's T20 squad. So he's he's shaken off this calf injury that has, has kept him out of white ball cricket for a while. Actually, it's funny because uh, shaken off is the right word. I, I spent uh, all day with him on Saturday, actually, uh, filming with him for our World Cup documentary. And he, he said he's had quite a lot of a piss taken out of him because... Uh, a calf injury is regarded as a sort of old man's injury. So all the lads have been uh, rather taking the mickey out of him for, for getting a calf injury. But he looks fighting fit now. And actually, uh, we, we had a nice uh, afternoon with him and his little daughter, Georgia, and his wife, Louise, uh, kicking a ball around and hitting uh, a tennis ball around as well. Uh, and so I think he looks absolutely fine and you know desperate to get back into it. I think sometimes these little breaks, and it, it certainly applied to Ben Stokes as well, these little breaks are quite... Uh, therapeutic for players and uh, Joss was actually saying that you know that, that the mental fatigue you suffer from you know being stuck in these sort of hotel isolation units and and bubbles and so on it, it, it does take its toll and and you do need a, a break uh, at times just to freshen up and, and feel invigorated by playing cricket again. I saw a tweet from Nathan Lehman this morning, the, the England team analyst, saying you know, how much cricket England have played in the last year. And they play way more 
uh, than anyone else. And it's, it's all very well to say, oh, you know, they're professional cricketers, they're getting well paid. But yeah, it, just being in those sort of team environments and lots of bubbles as well, inevitably, uh, you, you think have an effect on, on players. Anyway, question is then, Yoz. Which England players advanced their cause most over the last week? And we mentioned Saqib. James Vince, superb mm. 100 in the third one-day international. 50th innings, by my reckoning, and 100 at last. I, I, I just watched his celebration uh, yesterday evening, and you, th- there was so much sort of relief in it as well, as well as joy and, and you know, that, that sense of achievement. There was always that, that relief that he'd got there. And, and one thing about it was that, you know, if he never does it again, at least he's done it once. Do you, do you know what I mean? There are, there are yeah. lots of people. There are lots of people, you know, a, you know, millions of people who not good enough to play international cricket. And then there are people who play international cricket and you know, don't make a success of it. And they come in and out. And then there are players like Vince who you feel, I've said it so many times in the past, you feel there's an international cricketer in there and you, you watch him play and it's, it's, it's beautiful, it works, and then he nicks off to slip or whatever. <laughs> well, last night, last night he didn't. And that wonderful sense of achievement, I've, I've done it. And even if I never do it again, at least I've done it once. Yeah, I mean, he, he, you know, he's unlucky in a way because... He is such a, a, a stylish player, and in in another era when England hadn't got so many other talented one day batsmen, he would have played more than his nineteen ODIs. And you know, because you're in and out all the time, it, it is hard to get any rhythm going. You know, his overall stats: he's only played sixteen one day innings for England, four hundred and eighty runs, of which that hundred and two uh, yesterday was a lot, well, sort of almost a quarter, really. Average of 30, strike rate 93. You know, nothing special, really, about his one-day record. But the fact that he has been in and out hasn't made it easy. He's 30 years old now, so I suppose you'd say he's in his prime. But the, the, the prospects of him being able to play consistently are fairly limited because of England's strength in depth at the top of the order. Yeah, well, he wasn't in England's first choice 18, was he, you know, a week ago. So that just shows you. And, and now he, he he was in and he took his chance and he, he batted superbly on a, on a beautiful Edgbaston pitch. You go back to Brisbane in the in the last Ashes series and he was he was run out by Nathan Lyon in the first test uh, in in his 80s you know you, you just who knows what would have happened if he he'd gone on to make 100 there and he was batting well enough uh, to make a 100 brilliant piece of fielding from from Nathan Lyon and it, you know, it didn't go his way but he he's got there at last so there's there's James Vince in terms of who's advanced their cause the most uh, a couple mm. of other names uh, what well, two or three other names really uh, Lewis Gregory uh, 29 years of age batted really well at, at Lords and superbly last night yeah and, then, and I like what I liked about him was his you know totally bold approach and it's it's interesting isn't it just looking at that uh, 3-0 series win by England uh, against Pakistan that straddled the European Championship final and there was something about the way England played in that final, which I know we don't want to sort of revisit this too much, but I just felt, you know, Gareth Southgate has brought England forward so so far, but not far enough. And actually, I drew a parallel with Nasser Hussain. Nasser Hussain made England's cricket team more resilient, more you know, tougher, uh, definitely mm. a better team, but not a winning team. Whereas Michael Vaughan came in after NASA and brought in this fearless, bold approach, 
which really produced tremendous results. And I feel that Southgate is in that sort of Hussein kind of category at the moment, a little bit safety first, but just needs that sort of extra step to take England really through to to triumph. And, you know, you then look at England's one-day batting side here, or one-day cricket team, and even though it's a second string, with Stokes as captain, there was this bold approach, and that took them home to three excellent victories. And, and in a way, sorry, I mean, Gregory sort of encapsulated that, yeah. you know, in the way that he, he played in a, in a very fearless way and, and was very effective. Yeah, I mean, everyone's going to have their views on the on the football situation. It, one of the things that struck me is that you know England have got in both football and cricket have got all these attacking players, and and Chris Silverwood's problem and Gareth Southgate's problem is how to try to fit them in. Uh, that you know there, there is so much talent. Uh, it, it's a difference. I mean, in, in attacking in cricket is a bit different from attacking in football because you, you in one day cricket of course you don't really need loads of defensive players you don't need loads of midfield players I mean the analogy doesn't work but you know in, in football he's got all this talent uh, at his disposal but they're mainly in those forward positions so fitting them in was is really difficult and Chris Silver's got loads of attacking players and that, I mean that in a way you, you mention it with with James Vince that's the problem for for James Vince, you know, he's a, he's a fine player, but where does he fit in? Because there there are just players who are better and more consistent than him. That certainly applies to Gregory, uh, who you know is battling against a number of top class all rounders for for a place in England's one day side. And I, I just don't think his bowling is quite up to it, really. I mean, he, he's useful, and he, and he certainly got good changes of pace and so on, and a good uh, temperament. But uh, you know, he's battling against. Stokes and Wokes and the Currens and you know various others so you know you can't see him really kind of forcing his way in particularly as he's now close to 30 years old as well I quite liked Matt Parkinson I thought that he you know produced a couple of absolute beauties he did get pummeled in that last match at Edgbaston but it was a flat pitch and he was up against the best one of the one of the best one day batsmen in the world Barbara Zam who, who took him took him apart a bit but I felt he offered something there, an alternative to Rashid. He looked uh, fairly consistent, confident. Um, you know, he didn't look overawed by the situation and uh, he took a few wickets and his economy rate was reasonable, actually under six. So he was good. But the standout, definitely Mahmood for me. And uh, Nine wickets, a very good economy rate of, of under five over the, the three matches and just had enough weaponry to upset batsmen being able to move the ball good pace good changes of pace uh, going round the wicket and and over the wicket looked adaptable and and just looked uh, you know a really good all-round bowler reminded me a little bit of sort of Darren Goff the way he bowls because slightly slingy uh, but I don't mind that because that's going to help reverse swing at some point and, and and attacking the stumps as well so you know lots of good things about Saqib Mahmood yeah, he's been speaking today about the whole experience of the last week, and he was excellent. He was asked about you know the prospect of India, the Ashes, uh, Test cricket, how he's improved actually as well, what he's done uh, to improve to sort of push his, his case forward uh, in the last week, and also what he's learned from Jimmy Anderson. So let's hear from him on those subjects. Test cricket has always been, you know, I'd say right at the top of what I've wanted to do. And, you know, I've managed to play a lot of first-class cricket this season for Lancashire on, on some pretty good old Trafford wickets, which I think has helped my game massively. And, and it showed sort of bowling with the new white ball as well, just um, 
you know, sort of pushing that length, having that consistency and, and moving the ball as well. So, uh, yeah, test cricket is right up there. Whenever that chance comes, I don't know. But, um, you know, I'll, I'll look to keep improving. When I came into sort of uh, one-day squad, I came on the back of, you know, a pretty good record in list day cricket for Lancashire. And when I sort of made this step up, I found the things that worked for me in county cricket probably didn't in international cricket, in T20s and one day. I felt, and this is a chat I had with Ed Smith last November after I got dropped for the South Africa series. And, you know, I said my length was too short with the new ball and I wasn't getting the lateral movement to obviously be able to take wickets. I think in county cricket, when you've got a little bit of extra pace, you can pick up wickets. Whereas at this level, you need a bit of lateral movement at the top and you've got to obviously keep pushing your length as well. And I felt like I did that this series and it's something I spoke to Ed Smith about when he was selected in November. So obviously to do that this series and obviously do what I spoke about is very nice. Jimmy's obviously, is, I'm very lucky to sort of have him around at Lancashire and I think in the past I've always worked really hard on my skills and obviously you see Jimmy day in, day out at times and you try and replicate what he's trying to do and, and work on your skills. But I think in the last sort of, uh, since this winter sort of in the last six months I've sort of changed that shift into accuracy because I've sort of seen you know I do possess the skills and I have got the pace but you know something the best guys in the world have this pinpoint accuracy and for me you know starting in Sri Lanka that was that was my main focus was just to be as accurate as I can and I tried to do the same playing for Lancashire as well is just uh, consistently back up spells and back up overs just by being as accurate as I can you know, I know I've got the skills for wicket-taking balls, but that is something Jimmy epitomises. I think his accuracy over the, over the last few over the last number of years has been second to none. So you know, having watched him, that was something I picked up of Jimmy as well. And and for me, I think it's great to have him around. I'm a fairly level-headed guy anyway, but I think you know, even after a sort of week like this, you know, uh, when you're in the presence of those guys, you've not actually achieved that much in the grand scheme of things. So it always sort of keeps your feet grounded. Yeah, Saki there saying what he's learned from Jimmy Anderson. I, I mean, they wouldn't necessarily have spent uh, huge amounts of time uh, together. They will have spent some time together because I mean, Jimmy's obviously away uh, playing for England uh, quite a lot. But but how useful is it, Jos, in, in your experience to learn from a senior bowler like that? Oh, fantastic. Uh, just uh, the way they approach preparation, practice, uh, things they're working on, uh, obviously, the approach in a match, how you manipulate a batsman round the crease, when to uh, rein your kind of um, ambitions back on a particular pitch uh, to, to try and you know, stop a batsman from scoring or you know, go for broke with a, a more helpful pitch. I mean, so many things, really. Um, and, and I suppose, you know, dealing with things like uh, after the match, uh, how you're feeling, how you're going to get your body up for the next day, Little tips, uh, changes of position on the crease, batsmen pointing out things that, that you might not have noticed about an opponent, uh, you know, little bits of anecdote about situations. I mean, the list is endless, what you could learn from somebody like Anderson. You want to pick the right moment because he can be a bit grumpy and, and non-communicative, but I'm sure he's been invaluable to, to, to Mahmoud, undoubtedly. And you can just see a few of the things that, that he's already using, that, that he's that he's picked up. Yeah. So Saqib advanced his his cause and he's been selected in the England T20 
uh, squad for the Pakistan series as well, as a result of you know how well he bowled in the one-day international series. I mean, a couple of other players caught my eye. Uh, Phil Salt, of course, uh, who seemed to have that you know really fearless approach. I mean, he got his chance. He almost seemed to play the one-day international matches a bit like T20s, actually. He really, really went hard at it. Uh, very early, so he is someone you know who's, who's played a lot of T Twenty cricket. He's played in the in the Big Bash, for example. He he is someone who you know is worth you know, definitely uh, keeping an eye on. Uh, and also, I quite liked the look of, of Bryden Cars. I've not watched much of him uh, so far, and um, what I liked about him is that he. He seems to have that sort of. He, he, he can sort of make something happen. He's, he's, he's sort of got something about him. Um, you know, it may be that ultimately the competition is too great. You talk about that sort of sort of quasi all rounder role because he can bat as, a bit as well. And we saw it at Lords. He, he played well. And he came out uh, yesterday in, in you know potentially a difficult situation. Big crowd, noisy crowd, and England were winning, and then suddenly he lost two quick wickets. But you know he saw England home comfortably uh, with Overton. So he's got. He, he looks one of these cricketers who looks to have a bit about him. Okay, got his five. <laughs> I'm weeks. not surprised. Yeah, you know. Go on. Go funnily on. enough, I'm not surprised because I played against his father, James Cass, Carsey, as he was known, <laughs> and he was absolutely mad and seriously fast. He played in the Curry Cup in South Africa in the early '80s, and he, I think he got close to the South African team before they were readmitted re- re- to Test cricket. But he was absolutely rapid, and he tore into bowl. And he was absolutely he was scary to face. Uh, he then went on and actually played for Northants and wasn't quite as uh, as quick by then. But he, he, he everybody talked about him. He was probably the quickest bowler in South Africa for several years, and he 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 had this slightly mad streak. What's nice to see about his son is that his son's got attitude, but sort of a good level of common sense, I reckon, as well, because he played a couple of critical little innings at the end of matches to see England home. Yeah, I mean, he picked up his five wickets. I mean, that was a little bit, uh, what's that phrase that, that bowlers use? A little bit Streaky. rabbit. Well, a bit rabbit pie, wasn't it? At the end, you know, everyone's slogging. But, you know, you still got to, I mean, he could easily have disappeared. I mean, if Pakistan were on the on the assault at the end there, you know, he could have easily disappeared into the crowd a few times. But he, he found a way uh, to pick up wickets at the end. I mean, it, they were sort of, not not freebie wickets. That's not quite the right the right way of of looking at it. They were sort of bonus wickets, but you know, the other the other side of it is it could have been you know two for eighty rather than than five for sixty one. Anyway, he just struck me as someone who just seemed to have a bit about him and, and a, a cricketer worth uh, keeping an eye on. But but all in all, I mean, uh, very successful for England. What what about Pakistan? Uh, Yours. It was a much more competitive series for the most part, other than the first game in Cardiff than the Sri Lanka series. That was a really tame series, one of the one of the worst I think that's been played in England for a, for a long, long time. The Pakistan series, you know, had some vibrancy about it because the crowds were good in the in the second two games. They were very poor in Cardiff. I think they'll they will be this morning. I think really disappointed with how they they played. I, I know they didn't have a great deal of cricket uh, coming into the series, but to be swept away. Uh, like that by England's second stroke third team but they, they are so frustrating with that, that that drop catch for example Imam Al-Haq dropping uh, Lewis Gregory at a crucial moment early on in Gregory's innings I mean it's, it's just sloppy there was too much sloppiness uh, from Pakistan especially in that in that third game but uh, uh, capable of beating England of course in the World Cup uh, in a similarish game to the one that was played at Edgbaston yesterday, high, high scoring, but they came out on top narrowly after, despite Butler and Root hundreds. 
Uh, well, they—they—they—it's it, it's, its a bit of a cliche, isn't it, about them? You don't—you don't quite know what they're going to come up with. But <laughs> I mean, they've got that. I mean, if there were two players this year, they've got—they've had sorry, Fakazamam, who made 193 in a one-day international, and they lost, and they got Barbara Zam, who made 158 in a one-day international. And they lost. I mean, they, they, there's so much quality there, but there's, perhaps, mm. you know, there's just not quite that consistency. Yeah, I think what they need, um, and, and it, it comes out in their fielding, is is calmer heads uh, in the field, in, especially. You can't underestimate the huge value of somebody like Owen Morgan as captain in one day cricket because. You know, one-day cricket is so frenetic, especially T20, but even 50 over as well. There are frenetic periods. There's things that the wheels are sort of coming off and bowlers are getting carted everywhere and fielders are diving and just failing to stop falls or whatever. And you, 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 if you don't keep your countenance as a captain, it can all just go horribly wrong. And that's where Morgan is so brilliant. And, you know, there's things he does, like when it's all kicking off, you know, one thing he does is... He goes to the bowler and he keeps hold of the ball and he talks to the bowler before handing the ball back. And that just, firstly, calms everybody down because he takes his time. And secondly, it makes sure that the bowler is listening and that they're having a proper conversation before he hands the ball back to the bowler. And, you know, bowlers can be consumed by sort of red mist in in these situations and come tearing in again and bowl even faster and another full toss or whatever. Uh, I just think that would help Pakistan massively. And I'm sure Baba Azam has got some of these qualities, but bowlers need to have them as well. And I just think that they're, they're out cricket generally. Bowlers, fielders, they just look a bit on edge and that's why they don't quite deliver uh, either you know winning performances, especially in the field, defending decent scores like last night for instance they should have won that game you know they mm. dropped the catches they were missed fields bowling wasn't all that bright at times and they got they got done by England's third 11 and yeah you know there's two things to say about that Pakistan are better than that but England wow so much talent at their disposal yeah, England sort, of, England sort of knocked them off balance, I felt. Especially, also at Lords on Saturday, when in really good bowling conditions early on in that match, and the Pakistan picked up two wickets. They had you know, the, the, the crowd behind them in the way that they didn't so much in Cardiff because there was only about 2,000 in the ground, lots of Pakistan support on Saturday. They got those two early wickets, they were up. But that counter-attack uh, from England for the third wicket involving Salt, I think just knocked them off balance. And that, perhaps that's what England were able to do in the series, really sort of knock them off balance uh, throughout the series. And that happened again yesterday. I thought at times it was fascinating cricket, not so much the first game, but certainly the second game I thought was a really interesting game of one-day cricket where the bowlers held sway more, which you don't often see so much in one-day cricket these days. And then, of course, the reverse yesterday where the, the batters held sway for for most of the game. Anyway, it's 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 sort of wetted, I think, wetted our appetite a bit for the for the rest of the summer after the Sri Lanka series was, a, frankly, a bit of a dead loss. I, I feel sort of enthused again. So, you know, well done, uh, Pakistan, for that. I mean, they played their part, but also extremely well done, England. It, it was It was exciting. Well, 
Well, we started the first half of this podcast with the question, uh, which England player advanced their cause most in the one-day series? We're going to ask another question at at the start of the second half of this podcast. Which records are never going to be broken in cricket again? I just wonder whether any bowler will take a thousand first-class wickets in cricket again. This is a sort of bold question to ask. You never quite know who's down the line. I suppose how much first-class cricket is going to be played in the future. Is it going to be that volume of first-class cricket in the future to allow it to happen? Of course, Jimmy Anderson has, has just reached that mark. And we're going to hear Joss Butler in a moment talking about keeping uh, to Jimmy Anderson. The person most likely... Uh, this is according to Benedict, who's the, the Sky statistician. He says the person most likely to get to a thousand first class wickets next is Melinda Pushpakamara, the Sri Lankan slow left arm. He's 34 years of age. He has 793 first class wickets. There's quite a lot of first class cricket uh, played in Sri Lanka. He's a spinner, of course, so the, the pitches generally help spin in Sri Lanka. And Benedict reckons he's got a 61% chance of being the next person to take. A thousand first-class wickets, and then second on his list in terms of percentage is Stuart Broad, who's in the 800s in terms of wickets taken, and he reckons he's got a 54% chance. A lot of people are saying uh, Simon Harmer uh, of Essex. Well, he's, he gives him a 43% chance, so he's sort of quite well down the list. And then third on the list, uh, just so it's Pushback Amara, Broad, and Murta. Tim Murta is, is the next. He's got 869 wickets, but he's he's you know he's in advanced advanced years really. So has he got, <laughs> got the time to take all those wickets? Well, I mean, he might. You know, you look at Darren Stevens still bowling yeah. at 44. Tim Murta's 39. Yeah. 131 wickets to go. It's probably a tall order, partly because they don't play you know, as much cricket now, do they? I mean, in in the sort of years when bowlers got. 2,000 and even 3,000 wickets in their career. They were playing 24 first-class games, but you know now you're playing a lot less, uh, just just over half that. So it is pretty hard to... to in, in a year, you're doing well if you get 50 wickets, aren't you, really? So really, I, I suppose, theoretically, for somebody like um, Tim Murta, he's got to play probably another three years to, to get anywhere close to... A thousand. There's some good names there in that list as well, aren't there? As you say, Stuart Broad, 836. Neil Wagner, 762, but he's 35, and you know they don't play that much first-class cricket in New Zealand, so he's he's struggling. Peter Siddle, 655, mm. long way off. So it does look as if you're right. The Pushpakamara character from Sri Lanka is is probably the most likely. It needs to be a spinner. I mean, it's incredible, isn't it, that a seamer, a fast bowler, has done it, a thousand wickets in this era. And a lot of those wickets, over 600, taken in test cricket as well. Incredible. Um, We're we're, um, in the Cricketer magazine, this next issue actually, are sort of projecting which other first-class records might not be ever broken. And that the list includes... A thousand runs before the end of May. The last person to do that was Graham Hick. I mean, a few batsmen sort of threatened that this year, didn't they? But then the weather closed in, and uh, nobody really got past about six hundred runs by the end of May. A hundred first class hundreds were, of course, the last person to do that was Mark Ramprakash, two thousand and eight. Uh, and there's a few players in the sort of sixties and seventy hundreds, but couldn't really see that uh, that happening again. And a hundred wickets in an English season. And the last person to do that was Mushtaq Ahmed, 
in 2006, a spinner again. I mean, with only, 14. what is it, 14, 14. or 16 first-class matches now. Yeah, I mean, you, you've got to take um, five or six a game to get to 100 wickets, which is yeah, pretty tall you, you, you order, think isn't it? That's gonna, yeah, you could struggle to do that. I, you could see a 1,000 runs in, in before the end of May being done with the way the championship is set up at the moment with lots of first-class cricket. I mean, it depends if that continues. You know, Lots of first-class matches in April and May. The only problem, of course, is the weather gets in the way or can get in the way. But if you did have a dry April and May, I mean, for example... If last the weather of last year during lockdown, when lockdown started, if you had that weather replicated in the season, you could see actually someone scoring a thousand runs before the end of May. Anyway, we'll we'll see if that happens. Uh, here, here's a here's one other um, one highest partnership. Do you know what the highest partnership for any wicket in first class cricket is? It doesn't matter if you don't, Yoz, off the top of your head. Six hundred sixty-four. He's involved Kumar Sangakkara. It's six hundred and twenty-four. I mean, six hundred and twenty-four. I mean, it's it's a remarkable uh, statistic. What about the number of sixes hit in Test cricket? Now that that could be taken down, couldn't it? Because the leader at the yeah. moment is Brendan McCullum on hundred and seven. But that could that could be overtaken by. We've identified the person who could do it, haven't we? Uh, ben Stokes, who's yeah. currently on seventy-nine sixes. And in 71 tests, so he's scored over a six a test match on average. And he only therefore has to play another perhaps 25 tests to get past Brendan McCullum's 107. Uh, really see that uh, happening in the next two or three years, can't you? Definitely, yeah. And behind him, just behind him, is Tim Southey, who has a, a very high percentage of, of six hitting per run scored. But is he going to play enough... Uh, test cricket to get up past that. Anyway, it's just a bit of fun that. So Stokes and, and Southie could get past Brendan McCullum's uh, 107. Uh, another one that probably won't ever be a uh, broken record, won't be broken, his highest career average. Uh, Don Bradman's up there with, at, at 95. And Okay, you might find a, you know, someone who's played two matches, but we're talking about someone who's played a sort of substantial body of cricket, I don't know, something like 50 first-class innings uh, to get up to, to 95. Uh, that's probably never going to happen but Jimmy Anderson a thousand uh, first class wickets do you know, do you know this is another question for you Yours. do you know who's who's taken the most first class wickets you, you probably do it's probably there buried in your yeah, ever yeah. what in history Wilfred yeah. Rhodes 4,100 4,204 right? for Wilfred Rhodes and then Fred, Fred right. Truman by the way uh, you can just imagine him, <laughs> just imagine him, you know, a thousand wickets, a thousand wickets, you have to play to 62 to, to get as many as I took. But And you're probably right as well, because Fred took 2,304, but they did, they did play more first-class cricket. But you've got, you've got to did be Did you on... know that WG Grace took yeah. 2,700 yeah. Yeah. wickets in first-class? He bowled these sort of round-arm leg breaks yeah. from round the wicket, but he conned a lot of batsmen uh, out of their... Out of their wicket. By the way, anybody who's got any other ideas about first-class records that might not be broken, send them in to us actually, and we'll we'll read them out next week. You can send them to either at the analyst uh, Twitter feed or also the analyst comp at gmail.com. The analyst comp at gmail.com. We'll read out any suggestions you've got for other first-class records that might never be broken. I mean, just looking a little bit at a breakdown of, of Jimmy's, we've done some graphics in the cricket are actually a double page sort of celebration of Jimmy's achievement and uh, a few little things about people he's dismissed the most, for instance. Uh, the man the, the man he's dismissed the most, it won't please him particularly, is Peter Siddle. 
actually. Well, certainly in test cricket, that is. Uh, not sure about in first class. Uh, most catches by a fielder off Anderson's bowling. Matt Pryor, 74. Johnny Bairstow, 51. Alistair Cook, 41. So uh, those are the, the fielders he's been able to rely on the most. Happiest hunting grounds. Uh, best uh, best ground for him. Uh, well, you wouldn't be surprised to know that he's taken 167 wickets at Old Trafford uh, at an average of 23. So he obviously loves bowling at his home ground, which is why he's got a stand named after him. But actually his, mm-hmm. his lowest average of any test ground is 18 at Trent Bridge. Yeah, yeah, he's good at Trent Bridge. And of course, the first test between England and India is going to be played at Trent Bridge. And if all things uh, go to plan, Joss Butler will be behind the stumps uh, for that test match. He is back in the England uh, T20 squad, which is good news. He's got over the, the calf injury, as we mentioned earlier. And Yod, you, you spoke to him at the weekend and you asked him what it was like to keep to Jimmy Anderson. Yeah, it's amazing, really. Um, you're the best seat in the house to watch. You know, the most skillful bowler I've ever kept to. And yeah, it's quite amazing to watch him set batters up, the way he changes things, the consistency he bowls with. How hard he is on himself as well, I think. Yeah, how much he expects from his own bowling. He's that sort of grumpy competitiveness that, that comes through as well. So, no, it's a pleasure to keep to. It doesn't generally wobble the ball either, which is nice as a wicketkeeper. And you always feel... You're going to get catches because he can, you know, whether right hand or left hand, a swing, wobble seam um, is as, as good as it gets. So, so his balls don't swing after they've gone past the bat like many bowlers do? I uh, don't tend to, or he certainly doesn't seem one of the, the worst for it. Generally, if he's bowling, you know, when he's swinging the ball, it seems to tend to be someone who swings the ball nicely, gets that nice rotation after it pitches, so it doesn't tend to wobble. The odd one... When it's he bows wobble seam, maybe the seam stands up. And also, I, I dropped one that wobbled off, like a rago nick that wobbles. So it does wobble, obviously, sometimes. But uh, no, he's generally you know, gets nice bounce. Um, he's a good, like you say, fill in the game because he beats the bat a lot. So yeah, he's a good person to keep to. Can you tell his variations from your end? Sometimes, sometimes not. I think like the sort of what would be an in-swinger to a right-hander and his wobble seam ones are probably the hardest to tell apart because it kind of, in many balls, wobble seam kind of looks a bit like an in-swinger maybe sometimes. And then you're sometimes going off like the way he sort of, sort of a bit of probability, like, you know, generally he's going to try and take it away from the left-hander. Doesn't tend to bowl as much away swing, I'd say, at right-handers as he used to maybe. But, yeah, he's sort of getting a bit of a feel for how he's trying to set a guy up. The, from from a, a, a swing point of view, why is his swing... Can you explain to, you know, the layman in a way, why is his swing so difficult for batsmen to deal with? Um, I don't think it's just the swing. It's because of everything else, probably. Um, it's the length he bowls, the lines he can bowl, the subtle variations between in-swing, away-swing, wobble seam... And his consistency, you know, I think he, that's probably why he's so hard to face, is he doesn't give you anything as a batter. And then he, he tends to bowl like a, a length where he can't score and then will tempt you maybe a little bit with one a bit fuller that will swing that you tend to go for. So I think because he's got so many different skills is probably what makes him the hardest 
of, of guys to face, I guess, because he's got a variety of different ways to attack you with a new ball, an old ball, a reverse reverse swinging ball. And is he someone also who... I mean, I've always felt he was a, almost a, a, a bowling coach's dream because a bowling coach would have, you know, pitch maps and things or, you know, wagon wheels of certain batsmen. And he's someone who's so precise that presumably he can carry out those ideas to perfection yeah exactly that you know someone who's got that such high level of skill that any sort of tactics or plans that you come up with a certain batsman um, or any certain pitch you know he's able to deliver a, a skill to you know like say to the finest detail really you know I think it'd be great to be a fly on the wall between sort of Jimmy and Brody when they're mid off for each other. It'd be fascinating to be able to listen about what kind of things they're talking about and and what sort of things they're seeing from a batter or off the wicket or how the conditions are affecting what certain balls they're they're trying to bowl. So um, I think they've got a great partnership in terms of that, which seems to benefit both of them as well. What sort of feedback do you give him? You know, is he is he asking you how's it coming through? You know, do, do I do, you, do? Is he trying to get feedback off off the keeper? Yeah, he does. Um, you sort of feel a bit sort of um, unworthy of giving him any sort of feedback. Really, he knows obviously what he's doing, but yeah, sometimes it's just a pair of eyes as to you know, what does it look like from that end. Does that look threatening, or you know, should it change the angle maybe to right hand uh, to a left hander? Should like come round or so. so Sometimes it's more of just answering his questions, really, than sort of something I'd potentially see at my end. And uh, fitness-wise, I mean, you, you're obviously you pride yourself on your fitness. What about his fitness and his longevity? Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Um, you know, he's got a great figure, really, for what he, his his job. I think he, he doesn't carry any weight. He's incredibly lean, and I think one of the when you talk about great players, like what is one of the like longevity is what I guess really makes great players because you have to be around for long enough to do it for long enough to become great so being incredibly fit and having that longevity is is what makes the great players I guess and and not only is he incredibly physically fit it's that hunger and fitness of his mind to just want to do it you know whether he's playing for Lancashire or, or England is whoever the batter is he's incredibly competitive and just wants to get him out so um, it doesn't seem like that hunger is, is on the decline at all. We don't think anyone else is going to get to a 1,000 wickets in cricket. Maybe broad, but he's got a long way to go. Yeah, I don't know how many is broad on it. Uh, 820? Yeah, well, it's a lot, isn't it? It's an unbelievable achievement. So, um, yeah, maybe he'll be the last one to do it. Well, that's Josh Butler talking about Jimmy Anderson. I suppose uh, we started with a question. We started the second section with a question. We're going to end the podcast with a question. How many wickets, first-class <laughs> wickets, is Jimmy Anderson going to end up with? I mean, I, mean, I mean, who knows? I mean, it could be 1,003. You never know. You never know when that, you know, the, the bell is going to toll for you. I mean, England will be hoping it's something like, well, at least uh, 1,000 and... 50, something like that. I mean, they would be very happy if it was what 1050. But I mean, Jimmy's you know, he, Jimmy's talked about you know, going on beyond 40. You know, even if his England career were to end, say, at the end of the Ashes series, uh, this winter, who knows, he might go on and, and play for Lancashire. Who, who, who knows what's in his mind? I mean, but 
you know, he's he's in the uh, well, he's not really in the autumn of his career anymore, is he? He's about sort of probably late November, early December, uh, you, you would well, think. But you see, it's funny, isn't it, with bowling? Because I mean, I, I mistakenly said a couple of years ago, I felt he was probably on the decline, and I, the last thing I wanted to see was Jimmy bowling seventy-two miles an hour with the keeper stood up to the stumps. But he's revitalised and he's proved everybody wrong, including possibly himself, actually. I mean, and, and when you, you perhaps have a fairly innocuous series, as he has had recently, for instance, you start to doubt yourself. And then suddenly he takes seven for 19 against Kent and absolutely ravages their top order with some quality players in it as well. And you suddenly think, well, actually, I could do this for another two or three years. So it's hard to tell, isn't it? And, and you know, there's definitely no loss of speed. I mean, I, I was watching his speeds when he last played for England and they were in the sort of mid-80s. I think several times it was sort of 87, 88 even. So no problem there. Whether he's getting the same late movement, uh, you know, all your body sort of biorhythms don't work quite as beautifully when you're in your late 30s as they do when you're in your late 20s. But... He's worked out a way of, of, of taking wickets, of, of using all his skills, you know, the experience of, of knowing exactly when to impart that, that fatal killer, killer ball is obviously innate within him. And uh, it, it is all about fitness, actually. And yeah. he doesn't carry any excess weight. He's much more uh, aware of how to keep his body in perfect shape now than probably he was 10 years ago with all the nutritious, uh, you know, nu- nutrition advantages we have now as well. So, I mean, he could play another two, two, three years. And if England use him sparingly, you know, he could easily take another 150 wickets in first-class cricket and test cricket, perhaps. I mean, I, I think he could get to 1,100 anyway. Push on to 2,000, Yoz. Push on to 2,000. <laughs> Do you think he'd be like um, SF Barnes, uh, the famous uh, fast bowler who uh, played for England in the, the early 1900s? And he actually carried on playing in uh, minor counties cricket after he finished in international and county. I think he took, in the end, something like 8,000 wickets. It was just ridiculous, the amount of wickets, because he carried on playing till he was in his 60s and he was still bowling them down and getting people out. <laughs> That's a, yeah. that'll be one that's never broken. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, he, he's the he's the bowler that Jeffrey puts in his all time England eleven, doesn't he? His, his test figures are absolutely uh, phenomenal, uh, r- remarkable uh, bowler, and yeah, you know, another one of those cricketers that we you know you'd love to be able to have you know videotape of, or you know you'd love to see the highlights, or actually a, you know whole match in which he played just to see what he was like as a a bowl, a bit like the the Bodyline series of 1932-3. Anyway, um, there's going to be plenty more cricket that is going to be uh, on on TV and for people to go and watch in the next uh, week or two. The one-day series, uh, sorry, the T20 series between England and Pakistan is coming up. And then the 100 and then the Test series between England and India, all uh, packed in in the, in the schedule in the next few weeks. And we are very much looking forward to it. Yeah, and there'll be a special preview of the 100, actually, uh, this time next week, when we're hoping to get a couple of the uh, participants on to talk about it. Uh, don't forget the, the Cricketer magazine, as I said, uh, the next issue's out in about a week's time, and it has that Jimmy Anderson double-page celebration of his achievements, and you can subscribe to that by going to www 
www.thecricketer.com slash subscribe. And any thoughts about first-class records that you think might not be broken, you can send them to us uh, at the email address, theanalystcomp, C-O-M-P, at gmail.com. And we'll be back with you next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks so much for listening. Goodbye for now. Sports Social Podcast Network. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.